Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. We talk a lot about trauma on this show, sexual and religious abuse, violence. These events, especially in early childhood, contribute to developing any kind of addiction. Today, I'm joined by a guest to talk about another kind of trauma, the loss of a loved one. After losing both his parents before the age of 11, he also mourned his grandfather and uncle, who were parental figures for him. Alcoholism was how he escaped these tragedies, and it wasn't until he found himself homeless and in a veteran's shelter that he began the healing journey. Transforming his pain and trauma into valuable lessons, he's written seven books about addiction recovery, healing from tragedy, and more. Please join me in welcoming Charles Smith. Charlie, welcome to the Addictive Pod, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this. It's been a while since we first spoke, and you gave me a little sample. You gave me a few details about your story and some of the overarching themes, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the full story. I'm looking forward to telling you and hopefully helping some people along the way that are listening to you. For sure. Tell me about the first time that you discovered alcohol. How old were you, and what was the setting? Alcohol was probably 15, 16. Me and my friends would just start drinking. Um, you know, beer here, beer there. And then we would, we had a place called the Airplane Fields that um, we, everybody in the neighborhood would end up at and drink, party. And then we would um, go to like, different houses and have house parties, you know, like kids do, you know, and then I just, alcohol, I drank like a fish for a while. Yeah. How did you, how did you react to it? Even at that age of 15 or 16, did it, did you react any differently to your friends? Would you say, or it was pretty, pretty normal? I think it was pretty normal. I mean, I, um, I didn't, as far as I know, I didn't act any different. I found it as an escape, like a lot of people have, you know, and I just, uh, I needed that. I needed that escape at that time of my life because of my, my past, my mother dying, my father dying, being out in Texas and Arizona all that time that I was out there which you can find in 10 homes in 11 years in my book, 10 homes in 11 years. Right. So that was all before the age of 11 or yeah. the age of 12. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Your mother and your father dying. How old were you when that happened? I was six when my mother died and I was 11 when my father died. Um, my mother died of mixing pills and alcohol which I didn't find out until much later in life that that was her cause of death. My father, um, it was a weird story. I, uh, I woke up one day, I was 11 years old. I woke up, me and my father were sleeping in the same bed because we were in a really small house, very poor, small house. And um, I woke up. He was in the kitchen making coffee and I just seen like this glow around him, a weird white glow. And I uh, had a really bad feeling. So I got up, went into the bathroom, 
shoved my finger down my throat, told my father that I was sick. And after, you know, I stayed home with him. He passed out a couple of times on me. We were in a store once and he had a diabetes reaction. The store clerk knew him and gave him orange juice and orange juice helps diabetics when they're having a right attack. So then we went home and we were maybe home an hour before he passed out on me again. And then I ran over to my neighbor's house that we were friends with and she gave us a ride to the hospital. And, um, when we were at the hospital, my father was unconscious most of the time from what I remember. And then he woke up, I held his hand and then he, he died right there in front of me. Oh my God, man. Yeah. And, and you were 11. You were 11. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I know that one of the recent books that you wrote, um, Steps to Acceptance, um, it, it's about uh, like accepting the loss of a loved one, right? And yes. Accepting death, um, a tragedy like that. When you were 11, right, you, you didn't, I, I'm sure you didn't know how to uh, accept that. I'm sure you didn't know the things that you know now, the things that led you to write the book. So how did you react at that age? How did you cope? Well, my sister told me a couple years ago that when we first moved back to Massachusetts, that I was a, a mute for six months. I didn't talk to anybody. I was just in shock in my own little little world, pretty much. And my aunt and uncle that I lived with tried to do everything they could to help me. And I... The two things I wanted most in this world I couldn't have back, which is my parents. And I I reacted. I stole stuff from stores. I stole stuff from family. I did I I was just a rebel, you know. And anything that I wasn't supposed to do, you would find me doing. <laughs> so just you're just angry. You're yeah, just angry yeah. at everybody. Yep. Yeah. Acting out of the world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Then I got into marijuana and then I got into cocaine, crack. It seemed good to have those as like um, coping skills, even though now I know that they were negative coping skills. Yeah. But, you know, it seemed like it helped in a way, helped curb the, the pain that I was feeling for all that time. It kept you alive, right? I mean, that's how I look at addiction in a lot of ways. For some people, it's their lifeline. Like it just, it literally keeps them alive for that amount of time until they can find a better way. Do you, do you agree with me on that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of people use it to escape their reality. Yeah. You know, because they, the reality, you can't face that. You can't, yeah. nobody can face that at 11. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know about drugs at 11. I didn't know that I, I had PTSD. No. And that the reason why, I look at the reason why I was, I didn't talk for six months and how I was, was I, um, I got PTSD when I was six. That's what my doctors tell me. And 
um, a major, major trigger was watching my father die. So that really put me in a deep and um, depressive state for mm-hmm. a long time. Wow. I, I knew somebody in recovery. One of the first people I met, actually, her, her dad uh, murdered her mom and then Oof. committed suicide. And um, it was when I when I heard that and, and when I hear your story as well, it's like there's um, there's there's nothing you can say. You know, there's nothing that anybody could have said to you at that point. There's nothing nobody could really relate to you. Nobody could like it's just so far beyond what people experience in their day to day lives. Right. That level of tragedy. Yeah, um, it's. uh yeah, it's it's incredible to see where you are now and what you're doing with that and how you feel from that. It's really it's really inspiring, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, you're right. There's nothing that uh anybody could do. I mean, I I, I look at addiction like um, when I quit smoking six years ago. I uh, you know I didn't feel good at all. My son, who's nine now, was asking me to quit smoking. His sister was asking me to quit smoking. Everybody was asking me to quit. The only person that I could get to get me to quit was me. Because you're not going to quit until you want to. And that's the same as drugs, drinking. Yeah, my, my son is my world, and he couldn't get me to quit. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only, yeah. the only person that can get you to quit or to get by your your tragedies, your traumatic events is you. You know, like me, I can give someone the right foot forward. I can give somebody the information, but it's what they do with it. Exactly. You exactly. Know? And there's nothing that you can specifically say to make them make that decision, right? There's, it's really at the end of the day, like complete freedom. People really have that freedom, yeah, um, for good or for bad. Yep. So you got to tell me, man how do you how do you go from this and and you're discovering alcohol and you're um, you're using weed, all these things to numb out? How do you go from there to joining the army and going through detox in the army? Mm. My aunt told me I was in a really bad place in my life. And my aunt told me, get out, get a job, or don't come back. So I went out. I um, enlisted. And then I went in. The Army Infantry. And I look at that now, and that saved my life. Because, like, my cousin that I was doing, like, crack cocaine with six in 2016, five years ago, he ended up um, dead. His, his, yeah, his, uh, he went missing for six months. His body was found by a hunter in the woods, like, maybe six, seven miles from here. Wow. Yeah, and they did had. He, to... Did he overdose, or he he just died out there? Well, there was drug paraphernalia around his body. There was um, lime also around his body. I don't know if you know what they use lime for. No. It disguises the smell of a dead, dead body. Mm. 
So I think somebody deliberately deliberately put lime there. Wow. To hide his body. So somebody, if somebody was doing drugs with him and then he died there, or if somebody killed him, we don't know. Yeah. 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 But I, I have a, Rest I have, peace. yeah, th- crap, thank man. you. Thank you. But I have a feeling that if I didn't go in the military, I would have been laying right beside him. Yeah, you were on that same path, right? Yeah, you guys yeah. were doing drugs together. You were both going down that path. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you enlist in the army. How do you, um, like, what's your using, to what extent are you using at this point? How hard is it to um, to do something like enlist and to show up for that? Like, are you, are you in control of yourself at this point? I was pretty much in control. I mean, uh, um, mentally, yes. Physically, I needed a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. But um, I, I think that I, how do I put it? Uh, as much as anybody else, just I was, you know, I, I just stopped drinking. I just stopped uh, smoking pot. I just stopped using crack. So that my body went through all that while I was in the midst of getting my body, you know, in shape right doing the training yeah doing yeah yep Uh, did you have opportunities during training or or shortly afterwards to um to go to a liquor store or to to meet up with friends that had drugs was there any opportunity for that or was it pretty uh it was a pretty safe spot at that time it was a pretty safe spot at that time okay yeah yeah that's really helpful man that's that's incredible yeah well it's what people say, you know, remove the person out of the situation, out of the environment that they're in. Like um, my my other cousin wanted to, my cousin that died, his brother, wanted to move his brother to like Florida or California where he didn't know anybody and he couldn't use and get clean there. You know, so it was basically the same thing for me. I was in an environment because I was down in Georgia, didn't know anybody there, you know, and I couldn't leave the base. I don't think we left the base for like a weekend. And at that time I didn't want to, you know, I wasn't going to jeopardize what I was doing. So I, um, then I came home for a couple of days and then I went to Fort Carson, Colorado. And yeah, I didn't. While you, while you were going through training, did you, um, because you were using these substances to numb out, right? You're using these substances to escape from the trauma. So when you're going through the training, did the trauma start to come up and affect you again, or were you just so focused and so busy that it it didn't affect you yet? It affected me. It affected me a lot, but um, I found that one of my coping skills is you know being in shape like i spent a lot of time trying to get in shape and then i spent a lot of time in the gym when i was uh you know in colorado but yeah the the first few months it was like opening the floodgates because the 
drugs closed the floodgates. And then when I was there, everything opened up. So I was dealing with that while I was in basic training. Yeah. What was that like as you started to as you started to deal with that? Like how did it how did it affect you on a on a day to day basis? I was depressed. I I was I, I didn't know what I knew now about like coping skills and whatnot. So I I was angry. And I I took a lot of the anger and put it into my training. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to put that energy into um, the training that I was doing instead of uh, letting it take control of me. Yeah. Yeah. Lift heavy weights, run as fast as you can, kind of just push through that, um, push through those barriers, right? Exactly. It's, maybe it doesn't bring about full healing, but it's it's a good coping mechanism. Like I, I think if you're going to be addicted to anything, I feel like it should be an addiction to the gym and to working. Because at least you're going to make money and have a six-pack, you know? Exactly, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those yeah. are the only two <laughs> decent addictions. Um, but at the end of the day, right, it, 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 can, it is just another way of escaping. And I'm sure that, uh, like, when did, you, when did you really have to confront that trauma and, and seek help? And was it through therapy? Or, or how did you start to heal on a deeper level? That, in 2000, my uncle and my grandfather died. So that's four four years after I got out of the military. My um, my uncle and my grandfather died, and that put me in a really deep depression. It was like losing my father over again twice. Because you know? your grandfather was caring for you, right? Yeah, you had moved. Yeah, wow. Yeah, my grandfather was my legal guardian, and my my uncle was my father figure. Wow. Yeah, you know? so I lost them in two thousand. And then I became very depressed and I started cutting on myself just to feel something other than I was, what I was feeling. I didn't drink. I didn't, um, didn't do any other drugs, but, uh, yeah, I was doing that. And then I tried killing myself in the end. I, um, how old were you at this point? Um, 2000 you're gonna make me do math now <laughs> <laughs> like late 20s okay yeah yeah so i uh i was yeah on my friend's couch i wrote the words fu world on my arm with a razor yeah i didn't write i carved the word the words "fu world" in oh, in my arm, and I took a bottle of sleeping pills, and then I just um, went to sleep. And my friends found me the next morning, and then they sent me to the hospital. And then from that hospital, I went to a VA mental ward, and from there. I went to, I was homeless on the streets of Boston. And then I, I um, found other veterans facilities that were homeless facilities eventually. 
and I got into that. But that's when I really started healing because I found out that I wasn't alone. But you had, so you had no family at this point. Like when you're sleeping on your friend's couch, like you had nowhere to go. I, I had, I had family, but we were, you know, I, I, I was still like, still part of me just, I wasn't angry at them, but I just felt resentment towards them because I still felt like they were trying to take the place of my parents. Hmm. You know, so I was still resentment, resentful towards them. And um, yeah, after that, after finding the uh, the veterans homeless shelters, I found out I wasn't alone. There was a ton of different veterans that, that needed my that needed help. You know, that needed um, different all different things. Like yeah. I know a guy Ford that had no legs. You know, I. And I, I'm like, wait a minute, you know what? You're not the only one hurting here. There's right. other, you know, and that really... It's not just me against the world. It's not like everybody is sort of out to get me in and they're unfair and I'm the only one suffering, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like, what happened to me, is it fair? No. But nothing hits harder than life. You know? Not, nothing yeah. Nothing will knock you, knock you down quicker than life. Yeah. But you got to have the coping skills to get back up. And it, it just matters how many more times you want to get back up on your feet. Well said, man. Well said. I think um, there's this song. I can't remember the artist, but it's about like the, the title of the song is like, you think that you're the only one that's got to suffer. Yeah. Um, and the, and I remember I, I never forgot that song and, just how much it speaks to the human experience of feeling like we're alone. Like we feel like we're the only ones. We feel like it was just me. Everybody else had it better or they were lucky or they were out to get me. Right. It's a very like, it's a very isolating thought, but I mean, you, you experience serious tragedy. And, and I think that anybody in that scenario would also have those same thoughts of like, how could this happen to me? This isn't fair. I'm the only one who could have ever experienced suffering like this. Like it's, it's yeah. intense. Like I've honestly never, I don't think I've ever heard of somebody experiencing that much loss in so short a time. It's really awful, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I, like I write in my, uh, my new book, Steps to Acceptance. One thing that really um, opened my eyes was the fact that I can just keep them here in my heart. You know, everybody, everybody that I lost, and I got pictures of people right there, my uncle, my cousin, my aunt from a couple of years ago, but everyone I just keep in my heart instead of, you know, mourning their loss. Mm. I, you know, like, I don't really go to the cemetery because I feel like that's just where their remains are. You know, they're, they're in heaven and they're, they're all, you know, they're, they're all around us, but they're in heaven and they're, they're in your heart. And as long as you feel like they're not gone, then, hmm. you know, that's, that's what really helps me. So you started to experience that even in the, in the veterans shelter and 
just start feeling that connection still and feeling like they were still a part of you? Not yet. That that took okay. that took me a that took me a while to figure that out. But I I I, I kind of just I found a mission in life when I was in the shelters. You know, like I survived all this. Not because I'm God's guinea pig like I thought I was when I was little, but because I gotta help other people. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Because other people suffer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I went through everything that I went through in my life in order to help other people. You know, and that's. I mean, it's it sucks the way that it happened, but it is what it is. Like I told that you changes that, that changes everything, right? Yeah. It's it's a completely different viewpoint. Yeah, it's yeah. like instead of instead of you being a victim, instead of you being um, a, a person to pity, suddenly you become a very powerful uh, and and fulfilled person who okay. you are now, right? That that's an that transformation from being a victim to being someone who's actually helping and produce like being productive and giving back like how do you make that transition and how do you how do you start to give back well you, you can give back in a number of ways you can donate to the cancer society you can do this or you can do that you know i i started um I'm, i created a nonprofit called uh karma i don't have it anymore i gave it up years ago but that that was originally supposed to be um, helping veterans and their families because a bunch of veterans were coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq with and bringing the war home with them, you know. So I I had a uh, investigation background, private investigation background, and martial arts background, and I and a military background, obviously, but I, I made a uh, nonprofit that um, protected the family from the veteran, but also helped the veteran get, you know, acclimated, get, um, you know, find out what the root of the problem is with their PTSD and help them get the right help so they can keep the family together. It wasn't about separating the family and protecting these people against this person. It was about bringing them all together. Right. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that didn't last because I had problems finding the funding for it. Okay. Because it was potentially dangerous. You know, so people didn't want to um, give to anything that was potentially dangerous. So Danger, th- dangerous because of liability, like because of what could happen to to a veteran or to his family. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I, we were me and my team, we were protecting them against a violent offender. Mm. You know, the veteran was a violent offender. Otherwise, they wouldn't be contacting us. Right. They, they already went through the trauma of the veteran having issues coming back from war. Oh, they, so it was like literally protecting, like security yeah. guard style yeah, protecting. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Bodyguard. Bodyguard yeah. protecting. Yeah. Yep. 
So that went from that to running programs and um, addiction recovery centers around here in a place called Veterans Inc., which is one of the biggest veterans associations here in Western Mass. And I think New England now, but um, yeah, that turned into running that, and that's where like my my first three books, the um, self protection book, the uh, book on PTSD, and the book on um, positive thinking. That's where those came from. Was I had those as programs, and I was running those programs. Got it. Yeah. But then that wasn't even enough money to really live on having my son. So I gave that up and I um, went to get another how, job. How old were you when you, how old were you when your son was born? 40. Okay. Yeah. 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 And um, during, throughout this time, right? Because you're, you're creating this program. You, you started the nonprofit are you are you seeing a therapist at this point or are you going through any program yourself to to heal from these things or where were you at at this stage i am i've, I've been seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist since i was homeless I, okay. I, yeah yeah and what was that experience like because you um that that must have been the first time you started to to like basically talk about some of these things right yeah yep so it, it was, it was um, really, I would say opening, but I still kept some things in. It wasn't until probably six or seven years ago, I went through this thing called a CPS training, Certified Peer Specialist Training. And what that is, is somebody has that has PTSD or something like that goes through the training in order to help other people that have problems with mental health. And in that, you have to tell your whole story. Your whole, you know, like the whole story about, about my life. That's when it really became like an open book. I, I had to just keep on talking about it. Was it a big group of people or was it like a handful of guys? It was like 20 people that went through okay, that wow. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you would just, you shared your whole story and you told everything that happened? Yeah, well, we, we all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, it became easier to open up to tell people my my story. Because I, I, I think even back then I wasn't really aware of like what my story can do for other people until I how went do you get that. how do you get over that fear because i think so many people have a fear that if you share something sensitive if you share something tragic and something that is um people might look at as negative or or like sharing a failure the fear is that people will look down on you or people will almost reject you or not want to include you. How do you, did you have that fear? And how, if so, like, how do you face that? And how did you get over that? Growing up, I was a really shy kid. I was a shy kid that was a you know, rebel. <laughs> but um, 
yeah that works yeah yeah but uh growing up i i just just talking about it just you know and it didn't happen overnight just talking about it and talking about it and talking about it got everything out you know and, and then i like i i remember when i first started running uh the ptsd program at the addiction recovery place i was like this with the with the paper that i was reading right you know, staring and, down and yeah you know just reading the whole thing and not looking <laughs> at the crowd yeah yeah but yeah but then um at the end i was up i was walking around i didn't have the paper i was you know just talking to everybody that would listen so it's just practice then you just did yeah. it a bunch of times yeah yeah exactly so you just yep. so it, it sucked the first time it took like it, it was probably super scary the first time and then just like anything you, you guess you just got used to it yeah yeah but i find that the people that really care about you are not going to judge you yeah you know i think that's an important thing to say here is that people that oh you failed at this you're a failure you know, oh, you you did this. You're you're you know, you're not worth it. You know, those people are not your true friends. People that look at, okay, you made this mistake. You made this mistake, but you're still going. You know, those people are the ones that really care about you. Those people are the ones that are going to be by your side. You know, like so true. Yeah, yeah. Like I was just talking to a friend of mine before this and they were talking about some problems that they were going through and that they had no one to talk to. I'm like, you've always got me to talk to. You know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm not someone that's going to judge because I made a ton of mistakes along the way myself. And I, I, don't, I don't believe in, in failure. Like what I tell my son, it's like, oh, I can't do this. I, and he's nine playing a video game. Like, oh, I can't, can't get past this level. I failed in this. And I'm like, listen, you didn't fail. Just put it down and come back to it. And you've got a mother that was one pound when she was a baby. She's a fighter. And then you got me. You know, you've got the genes to go all the way if you want to. <laughs> yeah, you can. If I can get through all this shit, you can get through this level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, and I, I wrote that in my last book. I don't believe in failure. Yeah. If you learned something from the experience, it's not a failure. You know what I mean? It's a learning experience. I think the fact that you've done these things and you've written the number of books that you've written shows that you've really applied that mindset, right? Like it's one thing to say that's what you believe, but that's it's another thing to actually go out and do those things that a lot of people are terrified of. Like so many people want to write a book, you know? Everybody says they want to write a book, but it's it's scary. And the fear is that it won't be good enough and then someone's going to judge me and then... Yeah right like it's just it's all in your head it's all stuff in your head that at the end of the day it just holds us back yeah yeah i've had like the first year that i that i wrote books i didn't sell one 
Yeah, but I, I was like the band Kiss. I, I remember uh, Paul Stanley saying, all we did was we just kept on releasing albums. Like, you don't like this one? Here's, a, here's another one. Here's another. You don't like this one? Here's another one. <laughs> you know, and, and then he now, got a really good makeup artist. Oh, yeah. Then... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yep. And that's what I, that's kind of what I did. I got a really good person, Lisa Shea, that works on all my covers. Cool, cool. Yeah. And now, like, I, I could, I could send you pictures of my books way back when and now, and you'd be like, it's like night and day. Yeah. You know, and that, that makes a difference. It makes it look more professional. What book are you most proud of? That's a good question. Probably my addiction recovery book. Because not only is it my bestseller, but um, it has a lot of people's recovery stories in the book. You know, mm. proving, proving that recovery is real. Yeah. You know, even my, my own story since 1993, it's proving that recovery is real. And um, it's just one of the books that it's the first book that I wrote as a book. You know, like the other three before it were programs that I transformed into books. But this one is my fourth book, but I actually sat down and wrote it as a book. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's the one that I'm, I'm most proud of. It's amazing, man. It's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Um, to write nine books and and I'm sure you're gonna write lots more. What do you think? Um, what do you think the next topic will be for you? Or is there is there something you're working on right now that you're looking at publishing? Yeah, I'm working on um, two two things actually. One is like a collaboration of some of my other books, putting them all together. Um, I wanted to create a, uh, a center that um, would teach people situational awareness and um, inner strength, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, I couldn't get the money because of COVID. They're not giving out any money for, uh, for loans that have to do with gyms. So I couldn't get the money because my, my thing fell under a gym. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm writing the book that I would use as curriculum for that. And another book that I'm writing is the second memoir. And I, I, I kind of got a kick in the butt to get that going. Um, one of my readers gave me a, a one star and a um, kind of a wake up call on uh, <laughs> on amazon dang yeah they're like good book but you cut it off at the end like, <laughs> you know I, I got all the way through it and <laughs> <laughs> so she gave me one one star out of five dang tough customer man yeah tough customer i'm like you know what i'm not gonna look at this as a negative uh feedback yeah yeah maybe she's right maybe yeah. she's right it needs you, you need a sequel yeah, yeah. What I planned on complete story. Yeah, what I planned on doing was writing one memoir a year and having ten years of my life in that memoir. 
Wow. You know, and have a total of five for right now and then, you know, go forward as I get older. Wow. But yeah. That would be a big project. Yeah. So now I'm working on the second one. It um it starts from when I came back to Massachusetts for the first time. And I uh it's gonna go until I go in the military. Got it. So that that's what I mean. It's kinda gonna be like so it's still, Empire it's Strikes still short, yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's gonna kinda be like five. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. The, that's that's the darker yeah, those are the dark years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Going deep into the addiction. Yeah. Well listen, Charlie, it's been it's been amazing having you on the show, man. I'm really I feel blessed to hear your story and to meet you face to face. Um, over Zoom, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. it's uh I just love hearing stories like yours, man. I love hearing the transformation and I really hope people can look at at somebody like you and see that they have that opportunity in themselves too, right? They have that potential of, of turning something so painful and so tragic into their biggest gift because that's what you've done, man. And it's an amazing to see. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, it, it's about in your, dar- in your darkest hours, just know in your heart that it's going to get better. You know, yeah. No matter how bad things get, it's not going to last if you just keep on pushing forward. If you sit there and don't do anything, yeah, it's going to last for the rest of your life. But if you keep on pushing forward, things are going to get better. And you are not alone, right? Like that's yeah, and you, you are saw not that alone. you you were in the veterans in the veterans homeless shelter. That's when you saw that, and it's like that's the game changer. That's what I think. It, it sounds like that really turned it around for you. No, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it really did. And like I said, it was a transformation over decades. You know, yeah. I've been in, you look young. I've been in the recovery more than longer than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Probably. You know, but, and you just got to keep on moving forward and keep hope alive. That's what I tell people all the time. You know, well said, man. Thank you. That's Thank what you. I'm trying to do too. So thanks for being part of it. And thanks so much for coming on the show, being vulnerable. Um, yeah. God bless, man. Thanks. I, I, I think you're doing a great thing with your podcast too. So thanks, man. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Enjoy the day. You too. You too. Thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of the addictive pod. If you haven't already, be sure to follow on whatever listening platform you use and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It, really helps to grow the audience my instagram is at addictive podcast that's where you can stay up to date with latest episodes and charles instagram is at lifelong experience and his website is lifelongexperience.net this is where you can find access to his books audiobooks and lots more great content from charles that's all for me today be sure to stay tuned for another episode coming out next wednesday And until then, remember, we recover together.